with insight on the Bible and the study of it. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Paul is a scholar, and he is studying the Bible, but the Bible is this interesting book that five-year-old kids can understand, but a scholar can never master. You will never be able to master the Bible this side of heaven, but the Bible will be able to master you if you let the Holy Spirit do that in you. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Someone rather counterintuitively said an essential goal in life is not to find the right freedom, but the right master. Now, I can't think of a better master than God and His Word. Welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're so very glad you've joined us as we near the end of our study in 2 Timothy. Chapter 4 recounts the end of the Apostle Paul's life and his last words. They not only reveal his heart for God's Word, but people too. Paul is an example of one who's been mastered by the Word. And beginning by reading our scripture, here's Pastor Ed. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 9. Paul writes, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Only Luke is with me, and Titus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak which I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca, or Priscilla, and Aquila. In the household of Anisiphorus, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Tromepheus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubelus greets you as well as Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's stop there and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these words from Paul, the apostle. Help us to understand them and then apply them here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come before winter. This is another one of those verses that we come to that many, many sermons have been preached on. It is a passage of a verse that you read the first time and, and you might just take it as talking about the winter. 
cold, but it's much deeper than that. It has several layers to it, and we'll stop when we get there and at least give you some of the things that I've been studying the last couple of weeks. Most of us listen very carefully to the final words of a person that we know are dying, especially true if the passing person is a true believer. Their words are often a reflection, we hope, of their life, the things they've learned, the wisdom they've acquired on their journey with Jesus. We hope that any person close to death will have something important to say, and so we're hopeful that they will pass on helpful information for us to apply to our own lives. They have nothing to lose, of course, so why would they lie? And we hope that there's something that will help us meaningfully in our journey towards eternity. Time to pass on legacies. It's a time to give blessings, straighten out accounts. Generally, a time to put your affairs in order. No one likes to think about it too much, but the reality is we will all someday experience it. Now, Scripture records in several places the final words of dying men. There are them in both the Old and the New Testament. If you go to Genesis 49, you'll find there that Jacob, or his name, Israel, carried a great deal of information in his life about his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And in 49.1, he's dying, and he calls all his sons together. They all gather around his bed, and he musters up all his strength, and he sits up, and he hangs his feet over the side of the bed, and he leans on his staff, and he goes around the room, around the bedroom where his sons are, starting with his oldest son, around to the youngest, and he gives words to them about their own life, but probably more importantly about the different tribes that will come out of their lives, and it turns out to be prophetically true. We can see the results of it today. In Deuteronomy, Moses, his final words are recorded. Deuteronomy 32, he's with his elders outside the promised land. He's not going in, you'll remember. He's at the foot of Mount Nebo, and he does something similar as Jacob did. He speaks to all 12 tribes and talks about what's coming their way. And then he ends with these words in verse 27. I said, that's actually 33, 27. He said, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are his everlasting arms. A sweeping statement about God being the fortress, the strong tower that you and I are to run to in our lives, and that underneath our lives are his strong arms. Moses gives that to them as a legacy. Joshua had something similar. He gathered the tribes together, but he challenges them with these words, Joshua 24, 14, choose this day who you will serve, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wow, there you go. Over into the New Testament, Jesus dying words from the cross, seven statements, but Stephen said something interesting in the book of Acts, Acts 7, 60, Lord, I commend my spirit into your hands. Lay not this charge against them. Those that had killed him, he'd learned from Jesus. So last words here we come to are the last words of the Apostle Paul. This is the last words of the dying apostle right before he dies in the last chapter of the last letter that he wrote. Now, if you look in your New Testament just to the right, you'll see that Titus is the next book which Paul also wrote. But our New Testament is not in chronological order. And so this is actually historically 
the last letter that Paul penned. Well, remember that it was written to a young man. This letter especially has had a lot of impact on many people's lives. It's interesting to me that 2,000 years later, Paul's name keeps popping up in secular areas. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised, but the capital of one of our 50 states is named after him, St. Paul, Minnesota. One of the five largest cities on the earth is named after him in Brazil, Sao Paulo. Uh, Hundreds, maybe thousands of schools and hospitals and universities uh, have been named after this man. Of course, assuming Paul can hear and see from heaven, he isn't very happy about that because he was the one that said, follow Christ as I follow him. So the lives of most of us in this room have been changed by Paul, the Holy Spirit, working through the words that he gave. Yet, in this last letter that comes from his hands, he's in a very difficult place. He's in a dark, wet dungeon. And this particular dungeon is one that is about as dreary as you could possibly imagine. It had been a dungeon for almost 300 years. Rome had used it as a death row, if you will, for political prisoners who had been guilty of sedition and were about to die. And it's just a terrible, dark place. The list on the wall runs almost 300 years long, and the last one is an interesting character. This Simon was a rebel leader of the insurrection against Rome in Jerusalem. In 70 AD, you'll remember the general Titus came down from Rome to destroy the city. And this leader was captured. Titus took him back to Rome. He was in his celebration parade. After the parade and the building of Titus's arch, this man went into the Mamertine prison and he too was beheaded. Although Paul is in this difficult place, he's writing words to encourage. He's full of faith and he doesn't have any regrets about the past, except perhaps the years before he realized Jesus was the Messiah. So he's looking eagerly towards that day when he will be standing before Jesus face to face and seeing him, he will be like him. At the end of his mortality, Paul sees his life as having been invested, spent in the highest calling that anyone should choose to do. Of course, Paul's not unusual in that because you and I have the same calling on our life, even though we may not focus on it with the intensity that Paul did. Jesus said to you, my brother, my sister, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, pastor, I can't preach. Declare it. Speak it. What's the hope that's in you? So Paul is just doing what all of us have been called to do, and he's doing it with pedal to the metal, full throttle, all the way to the end. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's giving us some fascinating insights surrounding the circumstances of Paul's imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. He's an inspiration to us all. Now, before taking us deeper into 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's last words, Pastor Ed begins part two of today's lesson by outlining where we're heading. This is Paul's final chapter. 
final words, breaks up into three parts. Come quickly, 9 through 16 is deliverance, 17 through 18, and then grace, the closing verses that are filled with this powerful verse about come before winter. Verse 9, be diligent to come to me quickly. So throughout this close, Paul is talking about the necessity for this young man to come. It's a military term that he uses, spondadazo, and it means to come as an imperative, as a command. I need you right now, quickly, at this moment. When you receive this letter, you need to come to me. That's what he's saying. I'm about to leave, is his point. And Timothy, you're my son in the faith, Paul has called him. So this is his opportunity to leave this legacy we were just talking about to his son. So Paul is very passionate that this young man would come. He says, verse 10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. So Demas is someone that's mentioned two other times, Philemon 124 and Colossians 4.14, as Paul's fellow yokeman. He's working with Paul as they travel all over the then known world. But he said, this young man, because of his love for the present world, for something that's passing is the point. Everything is passing. His own flesh is more important to him than being able to see eternity. I would say we've all been guilty of that. Paul's not saying he stepped away from the faith he didn't believe in Jesus. He's just saying in a weak moment, he ran. And certainly scripture is filled with people who have done that. And departed to Thessalonica, a large city in the north that he had worked in. Crescens isn't named anywhere else, so well, we don't even know who he was. He's now in northern Turkey when this letter is written. And then Titus, it says, is in Dalmatia, probably with 101 Dalmatians, I would imagine. And, okay, two of you are awake, maybe three. Really? That's where the dogs came from? Well, it is, but he's in the area that we know as Albania today, or Croatia is right next to it, or the old Yugoslavia, if you're old enough. So that area already had some churches, but evidently Titus is sent there. We're going to see in the letter that he had been in Crete, and uh, he is uh, now heading up to Macedonia and beyond, above. Only Luke is with me, verse 11, Paul says. We know Luke. And get Mark, we know Mark, and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, Luke is Dr. Luke, okay? He's a physician, and he's been with Paul very early on in his ministry. Some believe that Luke was the man that the Holy Spirit showed who says, come to Macedonia. And uh, Luke has been traveling. He's also the author of the Gospel of Luke and of the book of Acts. He is a man who has been faithful to Paul for a long period of time. Now, this Mark is an interesting young man. He is John Mark, and Mark is the young man that actually let Paul down on his missionary journey with Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were together. They get to the tough area after leaving Cyprus into what's a mosquito swamp infested area of today's Turkey. And Mark said, I'm going home. This is too tough. Probably a teenager and he folded like a cheap lawn chair. <laughs> but a lot of us have done that and something happened. What happened? 
20 years. It's been 20 years since that happened. And a lot of things have happened in this young man because the Holy Spirit is doing it in him. And the unfaithful Mark becomes Mark the faithful one that Paul says, bring him. He's very useful to me. He would become Mark the gospel of Mark writer, which is basically all the sermons that Peter gave. Peter was the eyewitness. Mark is writing it down. John, Mark. So, he had matured by now. Verse 12, Titicus, I was sent to Ephesus. Titicus is mentioned a number of times in Scripture, Acts 20, Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, Titus 3. Now, I give you those because some of you later will say, you didn't give me the verses, and that's good that you're being Bereans. You're checking out to see if what I'm saying is true or not. That doesn't offend me at all. I want you to do that. So this Titicus, or Titius, some pronounce it, is being sent probably with this letter to Timothy, who receives the letter in Ephesus. So he's Timothy's replacement, and he's bringing this letter. Verse 13, bring the cloak, bring my jacket, my winter coat that I left with Carpus in Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parts of Troas. Okay, so he's asking Timothy to come, and he's asking him to go by way of this city. And Troas is the site of ancient Troy. For many years, people said Troy didn't exist, but it was discovered, dug up in the 18, late 1800s. And of course, we've all seen the picture, uh, the movie, so we know it's true. Troy is Troas, and it's up north of Ephesus. Ephesus is on the western coast of Turkey, what would be San Diego to us, and he has to go all the way up to Oregon, Portland, and uh, it's a long way. He's going to go from there up to Troas, and he's going to get a cloak and some books, and then he's going to have to find a boat to go across to Greece, and then go north above that and come all the way down in a boat around the boot come into Brandisi and then walk up the Appian Way to Rome. A six-month journey. Maybe if things are just perfect, it might be five months, but it's a really difficult thing. It's come quickly. Quickly is relative. <laughs> you know, we're used to jumping on a plane a few hours later anywhere in the world. This is an arduous journey that Paul is asking this young man to do. So he said, bring something for my physical need. Paul's in a hole that's 64, 65 degrees. It's cold, and he's been stripped. He needs friends, and he needs the bread of life, you could say, the Bible. Okay, so there's some interesting things here that we only know because of this verse. He uses the word biblion, where we get our word Bible. So when he says the books, it's this word kaita biblion, which means uh, bring anything written. But in this case, it's probably the Old Testament scrolls. A scroll is about 30 feet long, standard length, although they could be any length, and they have a pieces of parchment about the size of our modern eight and a half and 11. In fact, that's how we got to this size. Close in size to it, and usually in a roll, but could, in, could be also woven into something called a codex, which is like a book. It has those, say, 20 or 30 pages all stitched on the left-hand side, and you would read through it. It's either a scroll or a codex, and it's made from 
a papyrus, a plant that grew in Egypt. And Egypt carefully controlled the export of it. And this reed, and you strip the outer part off, and you take the center of the soma of the plant, and you slice it real thin, and you lay them out and then one direction, and then you get another mushroom, you lay them stitched across it, and then you put a glue-like plant substance on it, and then you bake it in the sun, and it dries to this yellow piece of papyrus, and then you take it and you rub it on something flat to make it smooth so you can write on it for one sheet of paper. And so, you know, we just burned through it, those poor trees, but in that day, it was quite a task. Now, these papyri are in scroll form are still around the oldest one of record so far is 3000 bc parts of a papyrus scroll not of scripture but of some egyptian records so they actually were quite stable in dry conditions so there's this papyrus and then secondly he says parchments which is the Greek word membrana, where we get our English word a membrane, but it's really vellum, it's leather. It's an animal skin that has been worked and, and smoothed and then written on. And it also could be in those two forms, either a scroll or a codex. But Paul is talking about, and there's a lot of speculation here, but we know that Paul's talking about the Old Testament because he's always looking for the scrolls of the Old Testament. And then probably New Testament manuscripts, the things that he wrote. He wrote his own copy of. Maybe the things that Jesus said, because Paul writes down things that he got from Jesus that none of the other disciples give to us. So Paul must have had these encounters with Jesus where, like we say, do this often. Paul wrote that. Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. But only Paul records it. So these personal encounters with Jesus. So Paul is a scholar, and he is studying the Bible. But the Bible is this interesting book that uh, five-year-old kids can understand, but a scholar can never master. You will never be able to master the Bible this side of heaven but the Bible will be able to master you if you let the Holy Spirit do that in you. Jesus showed us the importance of the Bible, the Word. When he started his ministry, he began to read. It said he took a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news, to set the captives free, etc. So Jesus gives us the Word, his own words, and Paul is saying, please bring them to me. Now he goes down a list of people. 14, Alexander. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. It's always good to see when Paul is being human. <laughs> I think I've prayed that a couple times in my life, maybe this week. Alexander is mentioned in Acts, at least we believe it's the same Alexander as Acts 19 and 1 Timothy 1.20. He did him evil, but Paul's really concerned mostly about Timothy, who this letter's coming to, verse 15. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. So Paul is warning Timothy that Alexander, who was from this city that Timothy is in, Ephesus, had stood against Paul, maybe come to Rome, brought charges against him, and is still at Ephesus. Pastor Ed Ray wraps up today's Grow in Grace with a word of warning given to Timothy about one to watch out for. 
It's a good reminder for us today not to naively think everyone in the church has our best interest at heart. But Jesus does, and you can trust him. What we just listened to is one part of a study in 2 Timothy. Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org, or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith.